0: Life Audio. This
1: life gets hard, but move forward to brighter days. This chapter is long, but remember to turn the page.
0: Welcome back to Unfiltered Parenting Podcast, where Abby Johnson and Reagan Long deliver the real deal of parenting to y'all completely unfiltered. Today, we have a special treat for everybody for so many reasons. And this incredible man with me today, and for those who aren't seeing this, and for those who are just listening, he is actually sitting right beside me, like right back beside me. He's traveling all over the country And it just so happened we were able to connect. So he's here in my home in Lake Norman in North Carolina. And he's not yet a parent, but I feel like so many parents and families need to hear what we're going to talk about today for so many reasons. And he is a former Green Beret who is now doing so many things, just kind of setting the country on fire in a good way. And his name is John Frankman. So John, welcome.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Reagan. It's good to be here.
0: It's so great. And honestly, I should have probably pushed record like several minutes ago. He and I are just talking about so many amazing things. And so I I kind of just want to like dive right in, John. So just to give everybody. So we have over 640,000 parents that follow us around the globe. And just give the, what you've been through, like in the last year, like just the summation.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll start with summer of 2020. I arrived to seven special forces groups. So I just finished the special forces qualification course. It's a couple of years of training. It took a little bit longer to move down to Florida, seven special forces group, which is where I was stationed based on kind of some COVID protocols. But I get to seventh group and I'm immediately faced with different situations where I have to figure out what are my values and how I'm going to try to live out my fate. One of the first ones being the acting battalion commander was a transgender major. So this is an individual who identified as a man for most of his life, was a gymnast at West Point, fathered children, and then identifies as a woman. So I find that I'm the only officer who does not call this individual ma'am. I go with rank and last name. I'm not trying to necessarily be a martyr, but I'm also trying to just live out my faith, not live by lies. Sure. Sure. I then get to my detachment, my Special Forces detachment, which is in charge of 11 other individuals, so a team of 12. And the COVID shot is rolling out in 2021. Now, prior to arriving in the military, I converted the Catholic faith. I spent four years in Catholic seminary. And, and my faith is just, it's the most important thing about me. Obviously, I can live it out better, but that's just what I try to live by. And I just know that every shot is made using aborted fetal cells. And at that time, I had a more elementary understanding of moral theology. And I just thought this is remote material cooperation. I can't get this shot, at least unless there's some grave reason. So I just tell my soldiers, which is the actual army policy, that I will not have an unassured than basically whether they get the shot. I personally don't want it, at least until it's mandatory. And I won't. Yeah, I'm just not going to punish them whether they get it or not. We might get some crap from leadership, but that's kind of going to be what it is. And we did get a lot of harassment. My team sergeant, especially from the sergeant major, he was definitely getting yelled at, berated a couple of times, few times a week, for maybe an hour at a time. And a lot of the policies were made to punish service members who didn't get the shot. I noticed early on that I was the only officer who didn't sign up for it in the company. And other officers started to, when they were briefing higher level units, talk about the percentage, the numbers that they had vaccinated as it was more tied into deployments. So ended up choosing not to get the shot. And because of that, my team, we lost a deployment. And if you go through two years of the schoolhouse and you have such a small time where you're a team leader, it really does hurt your career. So ended up having to give away a deployment to a country that didn't require the COVID shot before the mandate ever came into effect, put in my religious exemption, which was never answered. And because my religious exemption was pending for over a year, I was ironically selected to teach ethics at West Point. But I wasn't allowed to PCS or move to grad school. And I had kind of sorted it out where I was going to go to University of Dallas or Catholic U, but wasn't allowed to get a master's in philosophy and and then teach philosophy and ethics at West Point. And ultimately, from having my team time cut short, not having any deployments, and not being able to continue on to that career, that assignment, chose to leave the military. And it was a difficult choice, but it's just one I had to make.
0: Wow. And so when you made that decision, you had no idea what was next, right?
1: That's right. Yeah. The decision to not get the shot, I made that. And that was a slow thing that I continued to kind of develop. That was through studying more more moral theology. And when I looked into kind of the aborted fetal cell piece, what I discovered is it wasn't just remote material cooperation, that these shots are still being made using aborted fetal cells. And it's a sin against murder, but it's also the continued theft of the body part. And if we think about it, it's human embryo kidney 273. That implies a number of things. It implies there were hundreds of attempts to try to take this body part from the baby. It implies that the baby was developed to the point where it's a kidney. A kidney is developed, which is just absolutely barbaric. And we're continuing to steal the body parts. And I copied one of my friend's parts of his religious exemption request, where he noted that when a service member dies or receives, we do everything we can to bring their body part back to recover the body because the body is something sacred. Now, these remains that are still being used to manufacture these shots, we need to properly dispose of them to inter them in the earth, because the body is something sacred. So with that kind of conviction, I knew that regardless, I have to not do it. It was a very prayerful thing. But yes, when I chose to leave the military, and I made that choice September of 22, it was after a general came to the base, and I basically asked him a question in front of everybody. And And just realize that they're just not trying to work with service members, that it was either I wait until my exemption is denied and I likely get kicked out with the general discharge or I try to take control of my future and...
0: Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth.
1: Thanks,
0: John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410.
1: Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
0: And I just want to piggyback really quick on the aborted fetal cell piece. So, of course, my partner is Abby Johnson, who's the Globes, you know, the world's number one pro-life advocate and we're the most outspoken parenting page on abortion. And I feel like, you know, you and I are gonna talk a lot about our faith, Catholicism, but just for a moment, just to all of our Christian brothers and sisters who are pro-abortion, I just, this is one of those things where I feel like where the enemy is winning. Anyone who is a Christian, Anyone who is for Christ can never say that God would ever say, okay, that baby, that one you can murder, that one you can dismember, no matter how that child was conceived. Because of course, we know there are unfathomable acts out there where a child can be conceived, but in no case is God ever going to say, yep, that one, that one you can murder. It is in the word you used is stuck out to me that Abby and I use a lot. It is barbaric. Mm-hmm. It's barbaric. And and so I feel like this is one of the most grave sins that's happening today. I don't know if you would agree the absolute murder of all of God's children.
1: Absolutely. It's a genocide. It's a genocide against children that have not yet been born. We've had over sixty million babies that have been just killed. And I don't think we're properly looking at this as a country. And I think it's something that's very uncomfortable. But when you're trying to have the ultrasounds, when you're having the pictures, when you're faced with what this actual thing is, it's hard to ever think it's okay. Right.
0: It's human life. It's human life. And so those are one of the, you know, and we see what the Bible tells us about lukewarm, right? And I feel like so many Christians, especially in the last few years, they're becoming lukewarm. We're feeling this pressure to be loving and accepting of things that are not of God, right? Because when we speak out against these things, whether it's transgenderism, whether it's abortion, whether it's lies that are being sold to the people, whether it's shots that are should not be going into anybody, Mm -hmm. right? We are looked at as at times, unloving, unchristian-like, it's almost a good sign for us, would you agree? Because we are told, we're going to be persecuted. Right. We're going to be persecuted. If you are just pleasing everybody and you are with a majority, we need to pray and take a good look at things, right?
1: Jesus talks a lot about how no servant is greater than than the master. And if they rejected him, they will reject us. That we are, you know, in the world, not of the world. So we should rejoice when we have that kind of persecution because we are standing up for our friendship with God, our friendship with Jesus Christ, that relationship. That's what, and every no, I think one way that I like phrase in moral theology that every no is for a greater get, yes. When you're saying thou shalt not kill, we're saying yes to human life. Thou shalt not steal, we're saying yes to private property. When we're saying, you know, no to fornication or adultery, that's a yes to proper means of love. Yeah. And we need to just properly phrase this. And it is actually the loving thing for the woman who, for whatever unfortunate circumstances, conceives and it's not planned. Well, the more loving thing is to allow you to, one, let that baby live, give the baby up for adoption. And looking into the scientific aspect of it, the psychological ramifications of killing your baby, I mean, that's just our nature. That should hurt you later on. I mean, just psychologically. If Basically, we don't put sand into the gas tank of a car and expect that the car is going to work. That's not the nature of a car. Right. We too have human nature. So when we go against that nature, the way that we're made, it has negative effects of us. So it's honestly a better, better for the individual to allow them to take the child up to term, give the child up for adoption. The health effects, the medical effects will just benefit the woman in the long term. And that is the loving thing. And that's also going to kind of take uh, care of some of the issues that we have where we're having more abortions. Well, it's funny that we're having more abortions when contraceptives are more readily available. Right. That was supposedly supposed to take care of it, but I think we're forgetting that one of the effects of sex is that children are made. Yes. You know, tell me if I'm wrong, but no, I'm not right. the scary guy.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're not the mom with fine children. <laughs> but in that just goes, goodness, John, we could have, there, there's so many topics that just require a full episode in themselves because You know, that's where we're seeing such a massive stressors in our society that there's no modesty, there's no purity, there's no huge emphasis on saving your oneself for marriage. And, you know, I really feel like, and as much as Abby and I are champions for women and and women empowerment, really the feminist movement and I consider myself an independent woman, the feminist movement really destroyed and set so much of this up for failure because so many parts of the feminist movement aren't even biblical. And so then again, I don't want to go too far off path, but wouldn't you agree?
1: I would. Absolutely. I think it's all, it's in the water. And even as we're trying to identify what are aspects of the feminist movement, there's probably some aspects of it that we maybe accept or find more normative. Right. that if you go back 10, 20, 50 years, 100 years, you look at different encyclicals from different popes on kind of how marriage should be, mass of be other such things that what we have now is very different. So I think you strive for that ideal, you know, the way that the church, that God has kind of ordained marriage, a man is the head of the family, wife kind of supporting the man, but still, you know, working towards that goal of procreation and union, good for the spouses, but yeah. do it slowly and in whatever practical way you can within the society.
0: Right. So speaking of that, I kind of want to segue in to talking about your conversion to Catholicism. And what I love about this, you know, when John and I connected, what, several months ago, right? Right. A couple of months mm-hmm. ago. One of the things that first drew me to him was, and just being very blunt, he was a diehard Catholic. And I'm like, I love this guy. But what's so interesting is he is a convert. I'm a cradle Catholic. And yet it seems like we're still almost like equally yoked, even though you're just kind of catching up to things, right? Like I've had almost, I've been baptized for 40 years. Okay. Mm. And when did you become Catholic?
1: I became Catholic at 15. Mm. Ooh, okay. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, so, all right.
1: I also think have- the four years of seminary experience helps out too.
0: Yes, that kind of tees you up. Maybe you're above me. So I love that. So you were 15, which is, that's interesting. So a 15-year-old male, what makes you really have that focus and like, okay, I'm going to convert to become Catholic?
1: Well, obviously God is the short and easy answer, but kind of going back, my parents, they split up unfortunately when I was six. And for whatever reason, I always believed God existed, always prayed to him on an nightly basis. And even you know my dad, he loved me. He was part of my life, but him not being there as much always had kind of that love of God as God of Father, and that was always kind of part of my identity, as just being sort of a Christian who's, you know, beloved side of, of the Father. And my mom took me to church maybe about once a month or so, just to whatever random Protestant church. And when I was 12, I lived with my dad in California because we were just moving we around a lot, and he took me to a Presbyterian church on a weekly basis. And I knew I was just generally happier. I was doing better in school, relationships were better. And it was just something that was just generally good. And Mm -hmm. when I went back to live with my mom at 13, it's something that I wanted to continue in my life, getting a little bit more autonomy. My stepdad, he was then in the life. And we started going to an Episcopal church and I was baptized Episcopal when I was 13. And it was good going there. I wasn't exactly settled. And what was fortunate, my mom was teaching for the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., So she was able to get a discount for Catholic schools. So I started going to a Catholic school in DC and like everything the religion teacher is teaching and I am in walking distance of mass to start kind of going to mass. And even though it looks very similar to an Episcopal service, like liturgically speaking, there's some kind of element there, some invisible spiritual element there to the mass that I'd never experienced anywhere else. And it was not very intellectual conversion, but it was just that this is the church I want to be a part of. Right. And another powerful aspect of it is that it wasn't a great RCIA program. The priest was, he unfortunately left the priesthood. So his kind of preaching kind of showed for it. But, and there was all kinds of liturgical abuse. So me being a more traditional guy now who prefers the Latin mass to kind of no sort it's good for me to see that God works through very human instruments. He works through his sacraments, you know, that it's all valid and decided to become Catholic. And it's kind of at that point where I started thinking about priesthood.
0: That's amazing. I love that. And I know you and I talked about this a little bit before we started to record, but this is really profound and significant what you said. You know, so as you're starting this process, you know, the priest at the time wasn't, obviously that wasn't where he was supposed to be or he didn't meet, you know, the expectations. He left the priesthood. So many people would have just let that one taste of Catholicism, that priest, Make that decision. Like, look at this. This is the Catholic church due to that one priest. And that's not the case at all. I know so many, and this isn't just a, the Catholic church, but I've even heard from Protestant friends where who have left their churches because they had something bad happen with one of their preachers. And so what's so disheartening for me is we're all flawed. We're all sinful. God's church is perfect. She is perfect in herself. However, the priests, the bishops, the cardinals, the Pope, they all are flawed. And so we cannot let one priest or even additional priests, we cannot even let the Pope determine why we enter the Catholic Church or why we stay in the Catholic Church and so obviously I think it's no secret if you haven't guessed yet, if you don't follow John, you need to be following him. Those who follow me know I'm extremely conservative and I'm sure everybody has picked that up by now. Both of us were extremely conservative. And I was telling John before we went live, I'm like, I don't know us because he's all over the country and he's, you know, and I'm always talking to people. He's talking to people. I'm like, are you constantly having to defend the faith, defend the church? And so we both said, yeah, like we're having a lot of those conversations. And I told him, I am not a Catholic due to this Pope any more than I'm an American due to Joe Biden. Like, I'm not staying an American due to Joe Biden. Okay. Sometimes do I want to leave the country? Yes. Yes, I do. Literally, I'm like, safest countries in the world. Like, where where? it has crossed my mind. Do I ever want, do I disagree with much of what this Pope has said and done? Absolutely. Will I ever leave the Catholic church due to this Pope or due to a cardinal or bishop or priest? Never. And I think that's why it's so important to understand what's, why we are the one true holy apostolic church, because anyone who knows that, they would never leave. Mm -hmm. They would never leave. No. And right now- so many holy priests, so many holy bishops are speaking out saying the church is going through her passion. We are on our walk to Calvary like our savior. And unfortunately, John, I do think it's going to get worse before it gets better, but we know who has victory in the end. God wins. We know the immaculate heart of Mary is going to triumph, but we are the world is in a crazy time. The church is in a crazy time. Do you know what I really love too? What I always tell people who come at me and question is, and Jesse Romero, are you familiar with him? I am, yes. He and I spoke at a conference together last year. Love him. And he's, Jesse Romero has worked closely with Father Ripperger. He's one of the world's top exorcists. Mm -hmm. And exorcisms are scary, but they're always really like eye-opening. Like if you don't believe, like talk to an exorcist, okay? Listen to an exorcist because- these things are irrefutable, guys. And Jesse Romero puts it so bluntly and profoundly that why do you think the Catholic Church gets attacked so much? Satanists will tell you why they try to go for the Eucharist, why all these evil things are you know happening, why they come after the Catholic Church. This is the one Satan wouldn't be bothering us if it wasn't. So that's really profound to me. Would you agree?
1: Yes, I think so. I, I think that people kind of just know that, hey, we're having problems with demons. We should probably go to a Catholic priest, probably get a priest exorcist. Right. And you're totally right that with everything you're saying, you shouldn't leave the church because of the Pope or because of any individual person. And Jesus Christ ultimately is the head of the church. The Pope acts as the vicar, acts in his place, but it is he who is the head of the church and the church is his mystical body on earth. And when we're baptized, we're members of that mystical body. Insofar as we're in a state of grace and we're supporting that mystical body, we're supporting the life of the church. And if you're in mortal sin, if you step out, my favorite spiritual book is This Tremendous Lover by Eugene Boylan. And he gives the analogy that if you step out of grace, you're like a cancer to the body and you are just kind of hurting. When you sin, you kind of hurt the body somewhat, but cancer, you're just kind of killing it. We're in that problematic space. But you- yes, the Pope, it's very unfortunate. And I'm happy that some people are speaking out, different bishops, cardinals, because we want people to understand what is the true teaching. and. When it goes against what Jesus Christ has taught, when it goes against the centuries of tradition, that's where we need that to step up. And just right. insofar as we're educated, don't speak up beyond kind of your ability. If you're not sure, it's okay. You can like humbly live within your circumstances, focusing what's the most important thing within your spirit influence versus your spiritual life, spiritual life for your families, then kind of community. But if you have that kind of platform, if you're asked that kind of question, you need to step up for the truth. And for anyone who's considering becoming Catholic, but isn't sure because of this Pope, I would say that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. The fact that we're getting this pushback right now should be kind of proof of- Validation, right? Yeah, validation of what we have always believed and will always believe.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great. And again, because I have so many dear Protestant brothers and sisters whom I love and adore and who love Jesus, but you know, I've seen so many times people saying- when there's a real issue, when people are experiencing demonic activity, you don't call your non-denominational leader down the street, <laughs> right. let's get that non-denominational guy in here. He's going to scare these off. I mean, innately, I think everybody knows, whether they want to admit it or not, everyone who truly loves and adores Jesus, there's something deep down that they know, no, we've got to get a Catholic priest in here. Do you know what I mean? Right. And so that's what's beautiful to me. You know, when things get serious, it's like, yeah, we got to bring in that Catholic priest.
1: There's a lot of elements that are just kind of implied or the starting argument seems like the more obvious thing. So for example, if we're talking about what music is sacred, if you hear Gregorian chant, you know, it just belongs in church. If you hear maybe guitar music that's in a praise and worship service or from a Protestant liturgy or service, you might not know that's necessarily the right music. And no one has the argument that the Presbyterian Church of the United States of America is the one true church established by Christ. That is the starting point argument for the Catholic faith, and that's something that no other church really claims. Now, Orthodox still kind of claim that, but it's just apparent when you look at 1,500 years of tradition that both of these entities had all seven sacraments. If you look back at what early apostolic teaching was, so I think it was Newman who said to know history is to cease to be Protestant, but just going back to that church history. So there's a lot, and you know, I would just encourage everyone in their relationship with Jesus Christ, whether you're Protestant, Orthodox, Catholic, and there's definitely some truth to it for sure. And that core belief in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and in Christ's two natures that he lived, suffered, died for us. You know, that's the foundational beliefs, but I think what we kind of are, where we get caught up is in the means of salvation. We both know this by faith. What we're saying is that yes, this is what happened. Now you receive that grace through being incorporated into his mystical body. That God loves you so much that he wants you to be a part of your salvation, where he's going to give you the grace, but he's not going to take your free will away. He wants you to cooperate with it. And if you have a once saved, always saved attitude, that's incompatible with free will. So just encourage everyone to continue to study it, read on it. I think if you just are sincerely seeking the truth and in any kind of conversation with Protestants, if I'm able to remember it, it's just to pray, you know, Lord Jesus Christ, give me the humility to admit when I'm wrong and to seek the truth clearly and may you illumine us. Because I think that God wants us to know the truth more than we do. So if we just humble ourselves and are cooperated with His grace, He'll help lead us to that, whatever that should be.
0: Absolutely. And that's something I, two things I pray for daily that I constantly share with everybody is the first thing is discernment. And then the second thing is obedience. Because It is just such a crazy time. And there's times like in my head, it's even like a tennis match, like going back and forth and Satan's just in there, you know? And so I'm always like, Lord, just give me the discernment. Let me know. And then because we have the beautiful thing of free will, God loves us that much. When we know what God wants us to do, it's not always the thing we want to do. It's not always like the fun way. It's not always like, yep, that's not the answer I was praying for. So then it's just having the courage and the willpower to be obedient to God's call. You know, something, I shared this the other day, John, that was so another short but profound thing. And Mother Angelica had said this, there was only one thing everybody needed to do to get to heaven. And I was like on the edge of my seat because me, I'm an overanalyzer. I complicate things. I'm like OCD. It's like, God, give me a color coordinated list. Tell me exactly what you want me to do. And I'm going to do it. I want to get to heaven and lay it out. And we know that's just not how it works. And so sometimes I just get so frustrated. And this is what the enemy wants. He wants us to just get worn down and think you're not worthy. You're past and living in that guilt and think you're never going to be going to heaven But anyways, Mother Angelica said there's just one thing that people need to do, and that is doing God's will. So when you think of that, it really, and of course, that looks different for everybody because what, even though John and I have the same ideals and the same morals, the same beliefs, the same convictions, aside from being a man and a woman, that massive difference, you know, what God's calling me to do and what God's calling John to do is very different paths. And so it's praying every day to surrender. Okay, Lord, your will, not mine. Mm -hmm. We're such a selfish people, and but it's truly just turning it over. Every day I try to throw myself at the foot of the cross and I'm like, Lord, I'm still holding on tight. Like I need to let go. I Mm -hmm. want to do it your way and not my own. And I think that's truly the answer because if we are every hour of every day living in God's will, how can we get it wrong? Right?
1: Yeah. Well, we're very sinful creatures and we do tend towards concupiscence and towards those weaknesses that we have. And we have these vices that we struggle with. And, you know, one is having to believe that God will actually free us from it. And if you go back to, you know, Council of Trent, if you go to the scriptures, Christ says, be only as I am only. He doesn't command us things that we can't do you know we're now of the light we were of darkness that we're a new creature a new being that's not just a normal thing that that right. creates that requires change and Paul talks about how we were baptized into his death so that we can rise into his life well we're carrying out that sentence of death every day through our baptism so that we can rise to him so so that kind of daily dying to self and some folks overcomplicate discernment i think one thing to keep in mind is that 95% of what you're supposed to do is revealed to us through the scriptures through the church's teaching and you go through that, you analyze, you understand it well enough so you can live that out. And then as you kind of pray and you get to know the Lord's voice, you're going to have these little kind of whispers, these kind of understandings where there's some piece that will help you to understand what direction should you take. And I found just kind of mental prayer to be really profound in trying to learn. And yeah, I've had quite a crazy experience with this sermon for sure. But yeah.
0: So speaking of that and speaking of prayer, so do you do a daily rosary? I do, yes. I love that, and so I, I kind of want to walk through like your daily or, or weekly, like Catholic faith, like what you do. But it's something I want to share too, and I don't know if anything like this has ever happened to you. So I always felt like I was an upstanding Catholic. Never missed. I mean, unless I was like gravely ill. Never missed Sunday Mass. Okay, I went to confession at Easter and Christmas. Showed up on the holy days of obligation. And I thought like, wow, I'm like a big time Catholic, right? And lo and behold, I'm doing the bare minimum, okay? I'm doing the bare minimum. Right. But I felt like, wow, like I'm this upstanding Catholic. And then several years ago during Lent, like I always, with Lent, we always feel like, which is coming up next Wednesday, yeah, very soon. Ash Wednesday, on Valentine's Day. Yeah. I always, so many people think about what they can give up, but this Lent when I was praying, Mary had kind of come over me and she's like, I want you to do the rosary daily. I was not saying, I had said rosaries before, but they were very, very infrequent and random. And so it was like, you are going to do a family daily rosary. So did it every day during Lent. And then of course, when Lent's over, I can't stop doing the rosary. It was almost like a pressure, like, okay, I've got to keep with the rosary. And then it's like, it's 15 minutes of my time and. Of course, we're human. There's sometimes like going into it. I'm like, do I want to do the rosary? No, I don't want to do the rosary, but I love the feeling after I get my rosary in. Right. Right. So, but this is how quickly I was just moved to become what like a lukewarm Catholic. I was a bare minimum Catholic. And that right there quickly escalated me. I was moved to start doing the first. So again, I'm only going to mass on Sundays.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then I looked into. The first nine Fridays, the first Fridays, right, and the first five Saturdays, right. which you would be so surprised how many Catholics do not
1: aren't they don't do know it. about it. They, they don't. don't. They'll offer it mass it. in the first Saturday, but they won't say why it is. Right. It makes no sense.
0: So not that we have time to fully go into it, but I encourage all of you. I can't tell you how many Catholics don't know about this. Selfishly, the graces are abundant, the promises Please look into the first nine Fridays and the first five Saturdays. The first Fridays are devoted to the sacred heart of Jesus. The first Saturdays are devoted to the immaculate heart of Mary. Going to church, going to confession, concentrating on the mysteries of the rosary. It's not hard at all, but please look into it. Everything you need to do, I recommend it to everybody. The graces that come from it are just astounding. So anyways, I was like really excited and I was really motivated selfishly because of the graces and the promises. I'm like, oh my gosh, I want everything attached to this. And this is easy. I can do one Friday a month, extra Friday, and one Saturday. But I quickly was like, well, if I can go Friday, I can go Monday. So then I started quickly going a couple of days a week. Good. And it just turned into I was craving the Eucharist daily, literally. And Masses during the week are like 30 minutes. They're like, daily mass is short. And when I had, you know, when I worked for myself, I had the flexible schedule, I was able to go. And so it just came over me, John, so quickly, the craving for the egress daily. And it's like one of those things, the more you get it, the more you want. And when you truly understand you are, Jesus Christ is entering you, you're becoming one. It's like, how could you not want that as often as possible? And so, you know, so I quickly... Then I went to, I was going to confession once a month and I felt great about that. And then I noticed I needed it more. So then I was going bi-weekly. Now I try to go weekly. Padre Pio even encouraged people. Everyone needs a good dusting even once a week. And I mean, my poor priest truly, I would go every day if I could. I think I drive my priest nuts, but I would go every day if I could. This is just such a beautiful grace and it's such a great feeling. And the more you go, the more you want to stay on track. Right. Right. And what I loved is you were talking about something we all have our vices. We're still sure. struggling daily. You know, we're not ever going to be perfect. And sometimes though, I feel we're all called to be saints. We're all called to become saints. And there's times I just get so weary and I'm like, that's so unobtainable. And I talk to my priest in confession each week. And a lot of times I have the same sins and I'm like, I feel so down on myself. Like I really care. God knows my heart. I am trying so hard and I'm still falling. And he's like, that's the road to sanctifying grace. Mm-hmm. Because I do know sometimes when I'm falling, I'm getting up much more quickly. Or if if something would have extended an hour, it was now like down to three minutes. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> certain sins and certain like even venial sins, just like falling and like struggling with something, I noticed due to staying close to the sacraments, I am getting better. Does that make sense?
1: It absolutely does. And it's a hard indication to see. I remember this book, Growth and Holiness. Like, frequency of sins isn't necessarily an indicator of how you're doing because you might have more temptation when you're trying to get closer to Christ. Yes. Or your conscience biting you might mean that you're actually getting a little closer as well. But just doing those right things. And yeah, frequency of the sacraments, but reception of it properly and properly dispose of yourself. I think that all makes sense. And what I try to incorporate in daily life is these four things. I think if you have these four elements, they are going to be. It's getting you towards success. So mental prayer is the first thing. And that is when you talk to God and God talks to you. That's when you sit in silence and it can start with just 15 minutes a day. It can be half hour. A lot of priests, most priests try to do an hour, a holy hour each day. But that is just where you're learning to understand God's voice. You can do it with some scripture. That's helpful. So that's just kind of one element where even if you're not getting anything out of it right there in the moment, you might get something later on that's revealed to you. So that's Mental prayer, then spiritual reading. And what spiritual reading does is you have these pride and true saints, these spiritual masters, these experts who can help inform you about God and the spiritual life in a better way than you ever would. And if you try to pray without doing spiritual reading regularly, you might just actually get in your mind and sort of justify your own thoughts. We all know that we can get in our minds, we can go through prior arguments we had with other people and see that yeah, this is why I write. But getting that spiritual reading in is a huge element. The rosary as well. Like so many Marian apparitions say, pray the rosary. Mary brought Jesus Christ into this world and she helps still bring him to us and bring us to him. So that's a very powerful thing. And then an examination of conscience, which I usually, you know, might try to do with night prayer. And that's where you review your day. You spend about just a few minutes. What did I do this morning? What did I do in the afternoon? What could I have done better? What did I do well? Let's ask God for forgiveness and let's try to do better the next day. So if you kind of do those elements, that last one to throw in there will be penance. But I think if you do the mental prayer or you doing these other things, the penance will kind of come where you'll start to understand God's voice of what specific things he wants you to do. Pay attention.
0: Great. Love that. Love those suggestions. Speaking of Mary, so we know one of the biggest complaints people have, and this says always, I'll tell you what, I feel like I am a protective bulldog of our Blessed Mother, Like you see her back there. I have a crucifix and I have a miraculous medal around my neck. I get extremely heated and protective over her. And so many non-Catholics have a massive problem with our love for Mary. And so what would you say to someone? And then I'd like to share a personal experience I had what Mary did. Because like you said, Mary, blessed mother is the mother of Christ. And it always legs me when people are so dismissive of her and don't give God credit. I think, do you think God would flippantly choose any woman? This one's going to be good. Let's just choose that lady. Like, would God so flippantly choose any woman to be the mother of his only most precious son? Like, you know what I mean? So, oh I'm just going to let you interject. So, what are your thoughts on Mary, the Mary argument?
1: It can definitely be a hang-up, and... It is that kind of common sense thing of if Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity who came into this world, what kind of vessel would God choose in order to bring the Son into the world? And there are so many different arguments and theological arguments of Adam and Eve and Mary being the new Eve, the wife who's obedient, of Mary being the Ark of the Covenant, of kind of the relationship, Old Testament-wise, between the Queen and the Son, and It's tough. A person, you know, and you can't, it's so hard to change a person's mind that they kind of have to come to it. So you just kind of present the facts the best you can. Right. And if you're kind of just going off divine revelation, but don't understand the relationship between faith and reason that can make it more difficult too. So it's definitely difficult. You try to pray it out, live it out as best you can. And I mean, it's scriptural. You had hail Mary full of grace from the angel Gabriel to Mary, right. you had Elizabeth seeing Mary and saying, blessed art thou among women and blessed the fruit of thy womb. These are scriptural passages. And it's just that common sense idea that you ask other people to pray for you. Why won't you just pray to God yourself? If you're asking other people on this earth, and if other people, it's just like all said, our God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. If he's the God of the living, then these people who have gone before us and have lived holy lives. are They're at the right hand of the Father, or not the right hand, but they're in heaven with God. Oh, right, They're able to intercede for us. And they've been purified and purged to the point where they don't have sin anymore. They can better pray for us than we can often pray for ourselves, and we should befriend them. That The church here on earth needs to be friends with the church triumphant in heaven, or the church militant here, and the church suffering and purgatory to pray for them. So I would just encourage Protestants to Maybe look at some of the apparitions and when the apparitions might speak to you. Now, my favorite apparition is Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I think that was profound for me because I remember hearing about the Protestant Reformation. Going to a meeting college is funny. They celebrate Reformation Day. I don't know why any Christian would celebrate Reformation Day, the day that the church split and you have 30,000 plus denominations and you can't agree about how to interpret a book. I mean, or the Bible, but right. it's pretty wild. And that doesn't seem like the fruit of the Holy Spirit is division. Right. But- after you had Martin Luther post the 95 Theses, you had the Marian apparition of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I think it was for the 5 million or something Protestants that left the Catholic Church in Europe, you had like 9 million indigenous people joining. And Mary just saying, here, let it penetrate into your heart. Let nothing disturb you, nothing bother you. Don't fear this, any anxiety or pain, suffering, like that Mary is here for us. And a lot of these miracles are there to be seen that the shroud or the, what was it that she wore? Uh, The tilma, the tilma that she wore. So the way this apparition basically worked is that Mary appeared to Juan Diego to speak to the bishop to create a shrine for her. Now, Juan Diego went to the bishop. Bishop didn't believe him. He went back. She said, try again. He was a little ashamed. His uncle was suffering. So he tried to go to a route to avoid her. Well, she went to him, said, gather some flowers. So he was able to gather castigual roses, which did not grow weren't native to Mexico. When he presented to the bishop, an image of Our Lady was on the tilma. Now this image has existed. That's from 1500s. That kind of cactus fiber would have been destroyed already. There's so many other scientific discoveries. So, I mean, the nice thing about miracles is if you're already there, it's going to continue to help you on. If you're not, it's you're still going to resist, but just... Right. Go with openness, humility, understanding. You don't know everything. I know I don't know everything. I'll try to be open as well. Sure. And yeah, Mary will will help lead you.
0: And there's, I wish I was writing. There's so many things that I want to address. But so obviously we know one of the things is Jesus never refused his mother of anything. Jesus was perfect and obedient son to her. And there has been so many chilling stories of near-death experiences, not just Catholic priests, of agnostics. There has been a story I spoke with him, a former satanic high wizard who worked directly for Satan, Zachary King. Mary appeared to him. He's now one of the most devout Catholics. He was one of the most evil people in the world working directly for Satan. Mary appeared to him and and turned him toward Jesus because that's her goal. She's the intercessor. But anyways, there's so many near-death experiences Where this person should have died, should have gone straight to hell, yet Mary pleaded with Jesus, please give this person one more chance. Please let them. And it's absolutely amazing. And when you think of just the head of the household, when you think of the biblical household, the father is the head, right? We think of the father as the disciplinary and the strict. And then we think if the mother is more compassionate and when the children are sick or the children are crying you know, who do they typically run toward? The mother, right? Right. And so I always think Mary is that for us. Of course, God's passion and mercy and graces are endless, absolutely endless. But he gave us a mother as well. And so I always think I, of course, I'm never going to be worthy of heaven, but I always think, and I have a beautiful devotion to our blessed mother for her to advocate for me because I know I need all of the advocating and the route, right? Like, Mama Mary, be with me every day, especially on the day of my judgment. Please be advocating for me. Please be praying for me. And what's crazy, John, is you know, I've always felt so close to Mary since I was a little girl. A couple years ago, I did this consecration to Mary, 40 days. And I didn't know. So I did day 39. I really didn't feel any different. I mean, it was nice going through it. And I didn't expect anything. Like, it's not like I was going to have like an apparition or an ocution or like some going to get some gift for completing this. But I'm like, okay, tomorrow's day 40. Like, great. I'm going to have it done. And I still get chills when I think about it. After I completed that, and this was a consecration to Mary, I immediately felt closer to Jesus. And I can't even tell you, it was like through my entire body this immediate connection to Jesus more than her. And it was so profound because I'm like, that's all she wants to do is lead people to her son, Mary. And whenever you see Mary, she's always bowed down, her eyes are down, her hands are folded up to heaven. She's so humble and all she wants is to bring people to her son. And I thought it was the most incredibly chilling thing that that was the outcome of my consecration to her. And so a lot of the times when I would start prayer, sometimes I would even, you know, a lot of times go to Mary more. And maybe it was a woman thing, like a motherly thing, that connection I had with her. And now almost always it's Jesus, it's Jesus first. And I thought, wow, that's all she wanted. That's mm-hmm. like what she really wanted. And so it's just such a beautiful thing. And the other thing, and you and I are both athletes, we're athletic, we're, you know, into like, We never question, you know, when you think of like guys getting interviewed after their NBA game or big NFL players getting interviewed after their big win, well, now we're seeing this trend where many of them are giving thanks to Jesus. You know, I want to give thanks to Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, which is just beautiful and I love it. Like we're seeing a lot more of that. What else do you see a lot of these guys? They want to thank their mother. They love their mom. They're talking. And it's like, why can't we love our mother? You know, people put... In their homes or in their wallets, they carry pictures of their mother. They have this intense love and devotion to their mother. We don't worship Mary. We love Mary. We adore the mother of Jesus. And so I think that's just perspective that gets misconstrued, that upsets others that don't realize.
1: I think it can for sure. Yeah, absolutely.
0: But, you know, one of the other profound things for the Catholic Church and when you were talking about Gregorian chants, like when you listen to a Gregorian chant, it just embodies holiness, mm-hmm. right? Shy LaBeouf. Yeah. When played in his background, like if you don't know who that is, you need to look him up and just even listen to him talk for a couple of minutes because he is a man that can't be fooled, okay? He is like tough and he is blunt and he is like cutthroat in some ways and this is a guy- that you can't BS with and you can't pull the wool over his eyes. And he has been through it, right? He has like been through it. And anyways, he had this life-changing role of playing Padre Pio, who is one of my like most favorite saints. Great. And my kids love Padre Pio too. I love it. And he just had this massive transformation. And what I loved is what he had said, especially attending the Latin (laughs) Mass. Like he was talking about like the Catholic mass. He's like, there's just something about it. He's like, it is so holy and so reverent that it's almost unexplainable. And so I encourage everyone, if you've never attended a mass, please go attend a mass just to experience it. But he was even talking about, he goes, the Latin mass. So he's like, it is just so powerful. And he's like, no one's trying to sell me anything. It's just, everything is just Jesus everything is focused around Jesus.
1: It's amazing. Yeah. And I remember going to my first Latin mass as a junior in college. And part of it was we had some training that weekend with ROTC, the Reserve Officer Training Corps Army thing. So I get to go to this mass and I just remember it being so beautiful. And it was a low mass and every single symbol, I didn't quite understand the symbols. I didn't understand everything that was said. But within the special forces training, the alpha course, we hear that 90% of communication is nonverbal. And we're learning that the medium helps to portray the message and this medium of sanctity, of holiness. Part of that Gregorian chant thing is that it's a holy method of delivery, that when you hear that kind of music, you might not know the words, but you know what it's associated with. It's associated with reverence, with Catholicism. And when the priest is facing the altar, when he goes through the most minute details of preparing the bread and wine to become Christ's body, blood, soul, and divinity, If anyone's gone to Arlington Cemetery, they're probably going to be amazed at the precision that the old guard does in order to pay respect to the deceased military members. And why shouldn't we also have that same kind of respect for for our Lord Jesus Christ, who through his life, death, and resurrection merited for us our salvation? That's what we believe is being represented there. Christ's sacrifice, his crucifixion. So, I find it to be extremely powerful. Now, I still go to Mass in English. I go to Mass whenever I can, if I can. I mean, why not? Christ is present there. I think it's very unfortunate when there are a lot of liturgies or or a lot of Masses that are just not done as reverentially. And sometimes you have to say, WTF, where's the faith? And I heard that one from Father Nolan. I love that line.
0: I've never heard that.
1: (laughs) Because your actions often speak louder than words. And if we believe that Christ is present in the Eucharist, why would you have a bunch of extraordinary ministers just haphazardly handling him and giving him out? Why would you receive communion on the hands when crumbs of our Lord are going to go on your hands, on your pockets, your hands are a lot dirtier than your mouths if the priest just goes directly to the tongue? You know, why not receive kneeling and on the tongue? So there's so many things that even in an English Mass, even with the Novus Ordo liturgy, should be done better. I personally prefer the Latin Mass to a much greater extent. Now, it's not the purpose of the spiritual life is union with Jesus Christ and that spiritual, that sanctifying grace, which is a sharing of this divine life. And these sacraments, these are means to that. You know, that relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important thing. And I think Protestants need to really understand that is the most important thing. We're not trying to worship these things that we have to do. The things are on behalf of the relationship itself. And I think that the better means for it is that more traditional liturgy.
0: Right. Absolutely. I agree. And boy, I'm so glad you brought that up because something else I want to share. And one of the main takeaways, I want actually people to listen to this and to be able to have several takeaways, but I can't even tell you how my transformation over the last few years, I used to receive the Eucharist in my hand because that's what everyone was doing. Right. Like everyone, that was what the majority was doing. No one was kneeling and. Then, when I started going to daily mass, I saw one beautiful woman. Like, I envied her holiness literally. Like, this is a good way to be envious and jealous, Mm -hmm. like, over holiness. She would go kneel before the priest. No one else at daily mass would do this. And the way she just received our Lord, like, on her tongue and she was kneeling. It was so profound. I'm like, I need to stop like gazing at her. I need to get back fixed on the cross. But I knew God was moving my heart to be like, I'm calling Mm -hmm. you to do this. I'm calling you to receive me this way. I'm calling you to be holier. Because again, if we all truly believe, John, that Jesus, I don't know if this was Padre Pio, had said, if we all truly believe that Jesus was present, we'd be crawling in the church, on our knees, from the parking lot, like if we knew our Lord, like that's the reverence we all should be showing. But anyway, so I was so moved, and it took me a, a couple weeks because it is when the churches don't offer the kneelers to kneel to receive our Lord, you know, everyone's standing to receive, and even at daily mass that wasn't crowded, it took me a while because it's also you're being humble, you're being vulnerable, like doing something that no one else is doing. Everyone's standing to receive. And the first time it was like, a, I was shy. I was embarrassed. Like, oh my goodness. Okay, here I go. And I just, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. And I remember being so nervous, but yet I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I never not did that again. And then my children, now all of, all of my children receive our Lord on their knees, you know, and at Sunday mass. And we have a huge church. Like it is. And I love it that they don't even think twice about because everyone's standing to receive there, to drop to their knees, to receive our Lord by mouth, that I feel like we all should be doing it that way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And only the priest should be distributing our Lord because right. that bothers too. Unthink- and so we always try to get in the line with the priest. Well, like the kids will no, dart. We'll always try we'll to
1: get do the same thing. And we're going against what was theologically taught previously, where the priest has his hands cost graded to God so that he can, you know, actually touch God. And if you go to a traditional baptism, what you find is actually the baby's tongue is exercised and the baby's tongue is blessed. And the purpose of that is because that's where the Eucharist is meant to be received. That's not the hands that that are blessed. So the priest has his hands only blessed, not the lay person. And I remember hearing, I think the Mexican war when the Cristeros war, you had a church that was shot up and the tabernacle just kind of busted open. There were a number of posts. One girl would crawl there daily to receive our Lord on her tongue. At the last day, she was then killed. I feel bad that I'm not remembering the name, but that's the kind of level of reverence. And it's just such a shame that we forgot about it. And the COVID restrictions very much frustrated me. And that was a huge WCF moment when in the Diocese of Raleigh, the churches were closed and the bishop said, if you Matt, no mass and no confession unless you're towards the point of death. And that isn't seen. And we're not putting the spiritual above the physical. One, we don't know how deadly the disease is anyway. And what about like the bubonic plate when priests were going out to like willingly die and suffer if that were what's needed? So it just really showed where that kind of level of faith and that priests were actually trying to enforce. COVID policy. I remember I was dating a girl, we went into the church and we were chased down for not wearing a mask going into the church. And I went to the priest and like, Hey father, we got chased down for this. I noticed that you had only, you know, however many candles on the altar. You didn't have a altar cross. There wasn't like this Amos. So if this is a human law and you're like enforcing this to the point where you have someone being chased down and there's these other divine precepts that we have and you're not doing it, what is that saying? What do you think is more important? And this is something that we need to kind of carry out in our lives, especially as the culture is less and less conducive to living out our Christian faith.
0: And I think one of the biggest things, and this is why, and I'm guilty, I need to pray for our priests more. I need to, I can't imagine their job, but I feel like so many, you know, so my saying is, offend me into heaven, but don't you dare love me into hell. Mm -hmm. Offend me right into heaven. And I feel like so many priests, due to pressure, they are going soft. When do we talk about hell? When do we talk about purgatory? When do we talk about our daily offending of God? Like No one cares about offending God anymore. And none of us even know the seriousness of how our sin truly, truly offends God. And so I feel like we have to pray for our priests to really, you know, because I brought up a confession one time to one of my priests who I adore, you know, I had said about abortion. We talk about this more and, well, it's a political thing now. No, sweet father,
1: no. Well, maybe it is. And who cares? Whatever it is, it's a moral thing. It's a Catholic thing.
0: Well, someone in the congregation may have had an abortion or something. We're out sinner. We need to hear mm-hmm. events. And so I feel like, my goodness, we just make sure you are surrounding yourself with people. And if your priest is not strong, like I, every night I listen to top Catholic podcasters, top Catholic priests who are unafraid to be brutally honest. So it's truly not that hard to find. But I feel like, like you said, with your spiritual reading and your daily rosary and your quiet time with God, you know, all these things. You need to be ensuring that you are surrounding yourself with people who are truth tellers.
1: And that might mean that you need to go to a different parish, and that's a tough thing. And right? the parish boundaries used to be a much more big deal, but it's unfortunate that you have a lot of very much watered down teaching. And we were talking about the Pope. You know, he's the Pope. However, a lot of things he says are lukewarm, confusing. You pray that the intention is good, but some of the things he said are problematic, and that's why you've had these very solid cardinals come out and try to correct him, uh, just like Paul corrected Peter. So if your priest isn't on board, if he's not helping lead you to heaven, your ultimate goal is you need to get yourself to heaven and get to your family to heaven. And if that means you're driving further to get to a more traditional mass, a mass that's more orthodox, you I mean, don't even worry about whether it's you know Latin or whatever. Just you want the orthodox teaching. The Orthodox teaching more often than not comes with the traditional mass, but you need that orthodox teaching, you need to get yourself to heaven and to understand the faith. That is your ultimate kind of goal. Like man is made to praise, reverence, and serve God our Lord and by this means to save his soul. Everything else is a means to that end. So whatever that means looks like for you, you need to make sure you have it. And don't just think that you're there for the community to build it up like it can be kind of a false pride or a false humility of I need to help out here. And maybe that's the case. You pray about it, but I would err on the side of I'm an unworthy servant. I am a sinner and I need to make sure I get to heaven and I get my family to heaven that I'm unified with Christ. And then find the place where you are going to get, you know, not said in just an emotional way, but actually intellectually formed in order to love God. You have to know him. The way that we are made in his image and likeness is that we have an intellect and will, just like the angels. So You need to know God, and when you know him, you love him. That's an act of the will that's doing things that are just and good and according to his will. I
0: love it. I love it. And I think that's, you know, as we tie things up here, I think that's a beautiful way to close. But, you know, what would you share? You know, I know you're not a father yet, but we have so many men and women who listen who are just kind of lost right now. They're feeling confused. They're feeling worn down. I mean, they're feeling the effects of these last few years that have worn us all down, right? What would you suggest to them?
1: That stay close to Jesus Christ and getting out of this mess, it's not just going to be a political solution. It's not just going to be any kind of answer. We might not even be supposed to overcome this politically. But God is allowing whatever kind of suffering, difficulty, pains in your life and that exact circumstances, he is allowing it right now for your own good, for your salvation and sanctification. No matter how bad it gets in the church, God will always give you everything you need for your holiness and salvation. Same with the government, same with whatever other circumstance or difficulty that you have within your marriage, within your family. And with that kind of understanding, trust, knowledge, Foster that relationship, that loving relationship you have with Jesus Christ. Intimately get to know him and, you know, do the right thing. Nine percent of what you're supposed to do, you already know. It's already been revealed through just the church, natural law, common sense, reason, and do it. And when you fail, that's right. Just go to confession. Just continue forward. And only you can know the difficulties and circumstances that you're going with. But Jesus Christ is there with you, and he's giving you that means to overcome it and to be sanctified in it. So trust in him, do more than you're doing now in order for us to get out of these circumstances with the church, with our country. It's gonna take more action, but I think it's through a deep prayer life with God that he will reveal to you specifically. Reagan pointed out that we're both have the same ideals, but we're both called towards it in a different way. Well, the way we're figuring out how we're called to it is through our own intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So foster that, everything else will flow through it. So just wanna encourage you All in that. And if you're not happy with how things are going, look at yourself first. Yeah. Country of by the people, for the people of the people. Well, if we don't know what the heck's going on, we don't know who we're voting for in our primaries. We're not involved at all. And it's just, you know, failing. Well, stop putting on autopilot and get a little more involved. Similarly with your church as well. And we talked about Father Ripperger. He says that you get the leaders you deserve. So try to increase your own holiness and that's going to help increase the holiness of the church. So. I know that was a little bit more than one thing, but no, I some some closing ideas there. And please pray for me and pray for us.
0: Yes, I love that. And so John Frankman, if you are not following him, please look him up. So you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram, you're on Twitter. What's the best place for people to find you and for people to support you?
1: Sure. Well, before you follow me, follow Jesus Christ. I always want to throw that out there. And you can find me on any of those social media things if you have it. If you don't have social media, you can go to my website, johnfrankman.com. Right now, the big thing that I'm trying to push for is military accountability. So I guess com is a great website. So I'm sorry I threw a bunch out there.
0: No, I love it. And I'm going to link all of these. Sure. I'm going to link all of your social media sites and your website so people can reach out. Because you are just, just from the couple months that I've gotten to know you, I see what God's doing through you. and. You are on fire for Christ, and I think your mission is going to be big. It already is, and you're traveling around this country, and you're talking with so many people. And it really is. And I don't want to take away your effort because you are putting in work and effort. But doesn't it almost seem organic? Like God's doing so, this? It's
1: so organic. I mean, we didn't get into it, but I went on. I got out of the army July 1st. Then I did an Ignatian retreat, so an eight day Ignation retreat, where I was kind of wondering, Hey, God, I'm 35 and single still. You want me back in the seminary? Go on the Ignatian retreat. Don't get clear answer, but then on the feast day of Saint Ignatius, my first op-ed is published and it just kind of takes off. And I've had like 40 interviews, but so many congressmen. I go to Italy to try to confirm the graces. I visit the Institute of Christ the King, does it with the fraternity to figure it out and just get more clarity. It's just like the direction God wants. And yeah, he's making it happen. Yes, it's some effort, but I'm just an unworthy servant trying to do his will and very much not cooperating with this grace in many ways I need to. Right. But To the extent that he still works with me, you know, dumb sinner, he's doing it. So, you know, glory be to God.
0: I love that. And that's how you know when, because I'm not saying when you're following God's will, it's going to be effortless because there are times there's so many crosses. I'm like, Lord, like really? Like this is the way? This is our reward? But if our Lord suffered, of course, we're going to have our crosses to carry. But there is this like inner peace in organic flow That you know yep i am on the path this is like god is opening the doors it's moving along somewhat seamlessly as to where you know this is the right way and this is what god's doing and like i see it just from afar and john's really taken off on social media like twitter he's just like blowing up instagram and i just watch him and it's like every week he's somewhere different and i'm like
1: hate for that to be a sign of holiness though
0: well, no, no, but because of where God is putting you in things that come up and that you're being called to, to speak truth, mm-hmm. truly, to speak truth and to get in front of these people, like I see, you know, and you are fearless, whether you're talking about the military and politics, whether you're talking about Jesus, whether you're talking about just the sanctity and safety of Americans, I mean, you are fearless in whatever truth you're sharing. And that's not something that many possess anymore today. So I think it's a true, it's easy to see that you are a true disciple of Christ. And I'm so blessed to know you. I'm so blessed we did this. And a big thing, if you are in the church, please don't leave. Please, please don't leave. And if you feel lost, if you're not in the Catholic church, if you are considering coming in, you know, we're going to be praying for you
1: my dms are open reach out if you're considering joining if you're considering leading let's chat yes i think that's amazing
0: all right guys take care please if you are not following john yet i am going to link all of his sites below feel free to reach out to him and we pray this finds everybody well god bless you all
1: god bless oh. Hi, I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And we're from Salty Saints Podcast. We're a theology and apologetics podcast.
0: To find out more, subscribe at lifeaudio.com.